Hey, welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast by LifeWay. We would love it if when you finish listening to this episode, you would leave us a rating and a review. We really love five stars so much, like the most, but we will take less if you feel that way. Just be sure to let us know why you rated us less than five stars so that we can make it better. That's right. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood, here in the studio today with Nathan and Katie. Hello. What's up? Glad to be with you guys as always and super excited for our conversation today with my good friend Brent Crow. Many of our listeners probably know Brent or at least know of Brent. Uh, Brent is currently serving as Vice President of Student Leadership University in Orlando, Florida. Uh, Brent engages issues such as leadership culture and change uh, and speaks to hundreds of thousands across the nation and abroad each year through his role at Student Leadership University. Brent is married to Christina and has three children, Gabe, Karis, and Mercy. He holds a doctorate in philosophy and two master's degrees, a master of divinity and evangelism and a master's of arts and ethics from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. But that's not all, folks. Uh, Brent is author and also an author of many, many books, including Moments Till Midnight and a new Bible study coming soon that we are excited to share with you. Uh, but Brent, there are some other members of your family that I didn't mention, and I would love for you uh, to share about at least a few of those uh, furry or feathered family members as well. Well, I tell you what, that five-star rating just almost went out the window for me. I mean, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes, there are. We actually in the middle in the middle of this pandemic, uh, and I I'm so glad you actually read the bio uh, because we haven't updated my bio on our website, and I actually have six kids now, uh, and so <laughs> not three. So uh, yeah, we we adopted three amazing, beautiful kids uh, who have for the last nine months just become part of our family and. So, yes, we have uh, six kids, 25 chickens, two ducks, a kinkachu, three donkeys, and a stray cat that wandered up yesterday. So, <laughs> Are you going to keep the cat? I wanted to get rid of it, and by the time I got out of my office, it was a kitten that got abandoned. By the time I got out of my office, it was too late. They'd already named it. Mm. My <laughs> wife was cuddling mm-hmm. it, and I lost the battle. And I'm so I just... You know, I am. I put my foot down and uh, said, We can't have. She goes, We're going to keep it. I said, Yes, ma'am. And uh, it's going to be an outside cat. Yeah, there you go. It'll, the outside cat that'll prowl around go. and help keep the donkeys safe and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Eat the lizards, eat the snakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brent, we're super excited to have you on the podcast today uh, to talk about Thank something you. that I think based on observation that our world is not doing well at the moment. Mm. Um, Mm. You have been a, uh, I would say, a leadership influence uh, mentor for me over the years. And I, I, I know that you've spoken on this topic specifically. And it's something that I think we have to know how to do. Mm -hmm. We're not doing it well. And Mm -hmm. as Christians, It is imperative that we do this well, and that's disagree. So we take a look at our culture, we take a look at the world, and we definitely know how to disagree. We know how to shout, we know how to send out tweets and then go hide behind the keyboard. Like we know how to do all of those things. Increasingly so, we are seeing Christians disagree in a way that does not help the witness of Christ. 
and yeah. so I know that you've spoken on this and that's the setup for our conversation today on the art of disagreeing or how to disagree well, because we know people will and that's okay. Sure. But how do we do it in a way that honors the Lord? Mm-hmm. Well, just to go back and, and highlight something you've already said, we, we are becoming victimized of uh, the algorithms and the technologies of our age that are further creating factions in our culture. Um, We want to shout about divide and polarization while at the same time we're becoming more and more polarized within our own tribe of, of believers, whether that's our denomination or a network of churches that we belong to or our individual local church itself. And, and so I think the first thing we have to do is we have to, we have to at least admit that we're not immune to the polarization that's happening around us all the time. Um, and that we are just as prone as somebody else to maybe go down the rabbit holes of, I mean, you know, it's weird. We live in an age in which my next door neighbor, because of what he clicks on, will lead him to click on something else, to click on something else, click on something else. I may be next door and I'm going down a different rabbit hole. And he and I come to two very differing opinions and views. Um, and we live, you know, less than half a mile from each other. Yeah. And so I, I, I think it's important to realize that, that the, the church and Christians are not immune, first of all, to polarization. And that we have become very, we, we've become very divided and subdivided uh, as a result of that. So I've been through the Student Leadership University programming, taking students through it, and I'm familiar with what you guys do there. Uh, and I've heard the curriculum several times. And then a few years ago, you said, <laughs> we need to address this in the room at our 201 that takes place in Washington, D.C. We need to have a robust discussion on how to disagree well. Yeah. What yeah. was, and you know, political climate and all those things are happening a, a few years ago at the recording of this podcast and Trump's in office and all of that kind of stuff. And like, mm-hmm. we know the context there, but what was going on in your mind to say, this is actually something we need to begin teaching Christian teenagers in the realm of leadership and influence. Well, I tell you, it came back to my own conversations with my boss, uh, the president of organization, Dr. Jay Strack who is uh, unapologetically a big Trump fan. Um, And he was on some council or something. He was up there all the time. Uh, And he believed in Trump's leadership and and, and approach and philosophy and whatever else, doctrine, whatever else you want to call it. So he's a a Trump guy, and uh, uh, I'm not a Trump guy. Um, I just just couldn't get on that train. I, I, I thought about it. I thought through it. I prayed about it. I just could not go down that road. I have no... You know, I don't hold any ill feelings against anybody that does. I just couldn't do it. And so Jay and I are having all of these robust, um, very strong conversations around the fact that we disagree as a follower of Jesus on who to vote for. And I said to him uh, probably about a week and a half before, before our SOU 201 conference, I know we've planned the whole schedule for the last nine months. I know we've worked this thing, but could we just call a timeout and just pull up a couple bar stools and sit down with a couple mics and let's just talk to the students about how to actually have 
disagreement that doesn't detract, but rather contributes to the building up mm -hmm. of community. And to his credit, because he gets the credit, he agreed. He said, I'll do it as long as you don't, as we don't sling, as long as we're not slinging mud, I'll do it. And so we got up and we had this very, now we're going to probably go into some of what we talked about as far as the principles of that conversation. But what inevitably happened in my own life after that conversation, for about two years, I would receive information, a student or somebody would reach out to me and it inevitably was one of two one of two types of uh, uh, reasons for reaching out. One, you didn't vote for Hillary, did you? I mean, it was that. <laughs> like, are, are you are you a Christian? Are you? Do, I mean, that, I mean, I had students immediately after the session come up with tears in their eyes, concerned for me. Hmm. And I went, guys, if I fill that blank in for you, like who I voted for, that doesn't help you learn the principles of how to disagree well that we clearly see in the, the the apostle paul's writings on christ on freedom and liberty and all those different so i mean I, that was one response the other response was wow i i didn't know that we could have a safe space mm. and have a conversation like that because i really don't like that guy either now this isn't about trump guys right but he was the example of how to disagree well at that moment several years ago and in, in our in our little tribe that we have um and so that gave us a platform, an example, to have a conversation around and actually to articulate these principles of disagreeing well. Yeah. Man, I'm glad you said, like, this is not, and I, I want to restate it, this is not a podcast that's going to focus on Trump or politics, but the principles of disagreeing well. And I love the way you said it, that promotes community. How can mm -hmm. we have a disagreement that leads us to actually being in deeper community with each other, even though there are some disagreements that we have. And the church, yeah. Christian people are going to continue to face disagreements, whether it be in the future or currently in denominational circles, uh, whether it be disagreements on roles and leadership in the church, whether it be theological or doctrinal disagreements, or how the church should handle LGBTQ issues moving forward. Right. There are going to be, right. there's never going to be a shortage of disagreeing areas, <laughs> right? Like we know this to be the case. Um, but I would love to jump into those principles that you lay, yeah. that you and Dr. J laid out that day of here's, and again, your I think your language there is so, so, so important. Disagreeing and having that conversation that actually leads towards deeper community. Well, I think in order to disagree well, you've got to know, and it's going to sound a little counterintuitive, but you have to you have to be convinced about the ideas and beliefs that we can't disagree about. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is a, a foundational, there are some foundational truths, some doctrines and beliefs that are immovable in our minds and in our worldview. These aren't up for grabs. We're yeah. not, we're not going to disagree on these things. But Paul wanted in when he was writing to the book of to the city of Philippi, which I think is one of the most appropriate cities to study in our day and age, they had a lot of political unrest, a lot of prejudice that was taking place in the city. There was a lot of divide. Polarization was a thing there long before social media was ever invented. And yet he writes from a jail cell hundred year, hundreds of miles away about how they could have togetherness, how they could work through their disagreements and he talks to them about having one spirit and being of one mind in other words have one focus and then he says this contending together for the faith 
And, and that phrase for me, contending together for the faith, which is the gospel message and right doctrine. When I study that phrase, I have to, I have to first begin this conversation with the idea that our togetherness is not rooted in subjectivity, but rather the objective truth that is the person in the work of Jesus. And so it begins with what are the immovable doctrines and beliefs in my life? So when we say those we could call, I don't know, the primary beliefs or issues of our faith, that's the person and work of Christ, the inspiration and authority of scripture, moral law taught in scripture. I mean, those, that's a short list, but it's, it's an all important list. You can't disagree well if you don't have a firm foundation. Um, and then we move on to what's called secondary issues. And this is where we break up into different denominations. This may be disagreements on the number of days that you, you know, God you know, used to create the universe or, or how God created the universe, views on healing, gifts of the spirit, church government, modes of baptism, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a third level which has a whole host of, of stuff that falls under it, like style of music and the timing of the rapture. And uh, just, I mean, just whether or not you can have a glass of wine when you drink or, I mean, just all those, that, that list is probably the longest, those third level issues. Now, now, here's what's crazy. If you were to survey the landscape of Christian social media, <laughs> if I can use that phrase, Nobody's arguing over primary or secondary issues. They're all arguing over issues that would fit under that third category. Issues that are not directly re- related to our salvation. Yeah. And yet they should be issues that we can disagree over and through that disagreement come together, not drive a bigger wedge between us. And so I think that was a long answer, but I think it, it starts with, Healthy disagreement starts with strong, objective truth that I am grounded in. Yeah. So if we are having, and I agree with you, that the majority of the conversations that are causing disunity are ones that should actually not be breaking fellowship uh, between believers. They're ones that we should be able to sit down together and say, well, this is what I think about it. And here's why. And this is what I think about it. And here's why. And okay, cool. But we still agree on these main things. We still agree on these primary issues as you describe them. Um, Once you have kind of that foundation and that first principle of, I've got to know the things that are immovable. Where do you go from there? Well, for me, as I've studied all the different, the best place to study this in Scripture, I think, is where disagreement occurs in Scripture. Um, And that happens a lot when the Apostle Paul is writing about freedom in Christ. Probably the most extensive text that we have is in the book, is Romans chapter 14. He gives two case studies for things or ideas that people were disagreeing on. One had to do with food. The other had to do with sacred days. And then he gives this whole treatment on, okay, you know, whatever you do, do unto the Lord. And he talks about the weak and the strong. And then he ta- gives us cautions for how we engage. And uh, I spent a lot of time studying those, those chunks of Scripture, if you will, uh, primarily the writings of the Apostle Paul. And I wrote down, or I came up with, with just right or wrong for me, uh, I extracted seven principles for disagreeing on all this other stuff. And 
And again, let me just say, the point of disagreeing well is to build the community up, mm. not tear the community down. And so I, I you know, I, I, uh, my first one is the one that I've probably got the most heat on, just to be honest with you. People go, that's liberal, you know, <laughs> you start but, strong. Uh, if you're going to get heat, get it for the first one. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get it now. Here goes the five-star rating. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> choose love before you choose sides. Hmm. Um, I think what happens is a lot of times we walk into a conversation, we walk into an issue we, and, and our first thought is where am I going to land on that? Um, I think our first, the first thought, the first action should be that we choose to love um, and that we need to walk in with that love. And we need to walk in with that love that we're going to extend grace. I love the way Eugene Peterson writes about it in Colossians chapter three, as quickly and completely as Christ forgave us. Hmm. And, and so we need to walk in quick to love. In fact, I say you choose love before you ever choose sides. That's good. And if you get those two backwards, I, I just think it leads to some really unhealthy places uh, because we are people who, above all these things, Paul writes, puts on love. Mm. And so that's my first one. I'd say, number one, you got to choose love first. So when you get pushback on that, what is the, what is the most frequent response? Uh, the most frequent response is, as far as pushback, is um that that is weak-minded because we have to know what we believe and i'll get statements like what paul said in romans 14 let each man be convinced in his own mind and paul was talking in romans 14 about debatable issues when he said that but then he also goes on to say over and over one person judges one day to be more important another uh, another an, an, uh, more important than another day someone else's judges every day to be the same let each be fully convinced in his own mind whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the lord whoever eats eats mm. for the lord since he gives thanks to god whoever does not eat it is for the lord that he does not eat and gives thanks no, for none of us lives to himself and nobody dies to himself if we live we live to the Lord, I mean, over, and he keeps going over and over again, like whether you were on one side of the issue or the other side of the issue, Paul's going, I assume that you're doing this unto the Lord. Mm. And that's why I say choose love first, because uh, Paul doesn't give us the answer to any of the debatable issues. He lets people disagree. Yeah. He, doesn't he doesn't show them which side they should choose. He shows them how to grow, grow stronger through their disagreement. And if you assume the best about someone, you're choosing love. If you assume that that person is doing what they do as unto the Lord, that is one of the most loving, grace-filled things you can do when you walk into any scenario. So I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of strength. Yeah, that's good. What about principle number two? Hear before being heard. And the reason for that is because our desired outcome should never be just to communicate our outline. I feel like uh, for all the pros, there are some cons to social media, and that is it gives voice to people for the very reason that they just want a voice. Mm. And it has, I don't, I, I don't know if it's just me and maybe I'm alone in this. And if I am, I'm sorry. I'll apologize for God and man. But I feel like social media has caused a lot of people just to stuff cotton in their ears. They're no longer listening. They're just talking. Yeah. They're just trying to get something in. It's almost like watching cable news. Nobody's listening to each other. They're just waiting for their chance to speak. 
They just want to get something in as quickly as possible. And there is the discipline of listening first is a lost value, uh, I think, in the culture in which we live. So my second principle is to hear before being heard. Number three, kingdom before opinion. Kingdom before opinion. I, I, if, the, if the kingdom is the most important thing, if the mission of God precedes everything, I hold a Bible in my hand. Like, I'm a big fan of that book Christopher Wright wrote years ago called Mission of God. You know, I mean, in it, he articulates how God is basically all about his mission. And there's so much evidence for that. Even a Bible in my hand, before I even get to open it, that Bible says something to me that God wanted to reach out, wanted to reveal in a special way. That's why we call it special revelation. And, and, and so God is all about his mission. So if God is all about his mission, how dare I be all about my opinions? And so I, my third principle is kingdom before opinion. Um, because at the end of the day, and I, this, was, this is going to sound so preaching. I don't mean it to guys, but it, 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 if, you, if you care about the gospel, you care about evangelism, just patiently when I say this, how dare we ever attempt to make the table of grace smaller? That's good. That is not our job. Our job is not to go, oh, there's not a seat for you at the table. You don't think the way. I think some people think that when we get to heaven, it's going to be like the wall, a bunch of booth space everywhere. <laughs> there's not booth space in heaven. There's just a table. That's good. And our job is to get as many people to that table as possible. And so I say kingdom before opinion for that purpose. My fourth principle is, or if you can call it a principle or idea, guiding idea, is acceptance and agreement are not the same things. Like I don't have to agree with someone to accept them, to esteem them, to value them. You know, when Paul wrote about Epaphroditus, that's a name we don't study a lot, but Paul wrote about Epaphroditus in the book of Philippians. And Epaphroditus was the one, most scholars believe, who delivered the letter that is the book of Philippians to the city in Philippi. And when he wrote about him, it's fascinating. Now, here you have Paul, who was a Hebrew of Hebrews, could trace his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin, could, could, was a Pharisee. I mean, was just... And then on the other side, here you got Epaphroditus, who was a Gentile businessman. I mean, literally in his former life, Paul would have spit on the ground and walked across the street mm. at the very sight of this guy. But now he's going to describe Epaphroditus to the Philippians. And he describes him in four ways. He says, he's my brother. It, the word brother literally means ca they came from the same womb. He's my coworker. He's my fellow soldier. He's your messenger. There's an egalitarianism built into that, that terminology. What Paul is saying is, I'm not better than Epaphroditus. Everything, like I value him as not somebody I am sending out because I am this great leader. No, 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 no. I value him because of who he is. Hmm. And I think if we get back to the place where we go, you know what? I don't, just because I may not agree with that person doesn't mean that I have to disassociate, cancel, or unfollow that person. Acceptance and agreement are not the same thing, which leads us to the next principle, which is we can discover points of disagreement and, uh, excuse me, we can discover points of agreement and specify points of disagreement because clarity actually contributes to community while ambiguity 
only contributes to confusion. So I think that if you do, you know, these first four principles, then you're positioned to have conversations where you go, okay, let's discover where we agree and then let's specify where we don't agree. I think sometimes people go, the best way to disagree is just to focus on what you agree on and just leave the rest alone. Let's just not go there because that's how it gets messy. <laughs> and that ambiguity only builds seeds, only plants seeds of divide. Yeah. That, that, that's unhealthy. It's ambiguous. It's confusing. It doesn't help. Clarity always leads to the building up of community when it's done in love. And so I think you get to this place and you go, wow, we, let's discover what we agree on. And then let's now we can specify where we disagree. And if we're doing step one through four, if we're choosing love, if we're listening, if we're putting kingdom before opinion, if we don't have, know that we just already accept that person, we're in a really healthy place to have a conversation. Man, I want to I want to dive in again. We've got number four and five and the way you transition to those and in foundation and then into application and principle with number five. With four, the idea of acceptance and agreement. Um mm -hmm. Man, as you were talking, that's just one of those things that stood out to me as that's it right there. That's the issue. I am no longer allowed to accept people if mm -hmm. I disagree with them is a mindset that I think is becoming more widespread in our culture. And, and what I think if I dive down even into generational study with that, I think Gen Z looks at the grownups who are showing that to be true in their lives. I can't accept you if I disagree with you. And they're rejecting that mindset full sale. Yes. Yes. And they are saying, if these people who say, I follow Jesus, I am a part of the church are not showing the acceptance and the disagreement together, then I don't want to have anything to do with this. It's fake. Yeah. It's not this, this isn't affecting your life when you say that you follow Jesus, but yet you can't accept love as you would put it, love people. It's all about the issues. And yeah. that this, so, this came to light with the masks, didn't it? I mean, masks, <laughs> a little piece of cloth. Yeah highlighted our immaturity yeah we and what did you hear people say i'm not gonna live in a spirit of fear I'm, i have the right i have the right when you became a christian you gave up your rights mm. i don't care if you wrap yourself in the flag you're a citizen of heaven yeah and we have allowed a little piece of cloth to highlight the fact that we'll leave a church we'll disassociate we'll cancel someone because they want to wear that piece of cloth it's it, it just it I, I you know I wonder if the if the church fathers could look at us now what they would think yeah <laughs> I mean it would just kind of be like <clears throat> really that's what I was burned at the stake for I mean it's, yeah it's just insane man it that the generational piece of it though is super interesting to me because mm -hmm. it really is revealing to them the the realness of a person's faith in how it's actually lived versus the things that we talk about. Now, an argument that some people would say is if we are teaching people to accept, even if there's a disagreement, right, then an argument back to that would be, 
well, aren't we supposed to stand up for what we believe? Aren't we supposed mm-hmm. to stand and aren't we supposed to speak truth? And aren't we supposed to like when someone is living a lifestyle or making decisions outside of that, aren't we supposed to is yeah. the, is the argument back. And I'd, I'd love to hear how you would approach that for the, aren't we supposed to crowd? Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, I do that in my, I'm part of that crowd in my own head. I go, but aren't I supposed to, yeah. aren't I supposed to, I don't think you ever stand up for your beliefs by devaluing a human being. Mm. That's the rule of thumb. If we walk around saying, wow, people are infinitely valuable, made in the image of God, forever important, we're sacrificing for, but yet I devalue them just to make my point. The moment I devalue another human being, I am not firmly planted in biblical conviction. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I would just say, guys, it's, it's, it, when I say accept people, I mean value them. Um, because if I remember right, we don't really have a bunch of enemies that are our enemies that we're supposed to fight against. I think our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's right. And if I remember right, all the opponents that we face in this world who want to posture like their opponents, our goal is not to fight them. Our goal is to win them over those Mm -hmm. opponents. Hopefully that's future family. And and so that's why I say if your convictions ever devalue another human being, you're probably not going about your convictions the right way. Yeah. You have, uh, you, you made a statement, gosh, I don't even remember how many years it was. It was a lot of years ago, maybe 15 years ago that has stuck with me ever since. And it was along these same lines, but it was talking about how, uh, we as Christians like to use the phrase, hate the sin, but love the sinner. And you turned that on its head in a session one time and you said, no, we need to hate our own sin. Mm -hmm. And man, I would love for you just to take a second and unpack that because I think it connects to this idea of acceptance and agreement, acceptance not being the same as agreement. I think those two are parallel train tracks to the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. That the there was a friend of mine who was leading a Bible study in an art district um, in South Florida years ago, and he had a pretty strong contingency of people in the LBGTQ plus uh, movement who were starting to become part. And there was this very sweet lesbian couple that had been involved for probably six months, and they were kind of the catalyst leaders who who ended up bringing a lot of people to this Bible study. Well, about a year into all of this, my friend finally got the courage to ask. Um, why do you keep coming? I mean, like, <laughs> I want you to keep coming. Like, we do life together here. We like because they study, then they would eat together. They would go serve in the community. They would right. And he's not. If you were to meet him, you'd go, yeah, that guy's not watering anything down. He's teaching the word of God. He's not skirting issues. He's not going. Let's not go there this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's te- faithfully teaching the word of God. He goes, why? I mean, I had to offend you at some point. And she goes. And this is coming from somebody who was in a lifestyle that is contrary to what the scriptures teach, but yet was demonstrating what we all know. And that is that when his name is lifted up, he will draw them into himself, that that the love of Jesus is a magnet. Mm. And and so uh, she she said to him, man, my whole life, I went to p- church with my parents growing up and they always heard 
love the sinner, hate the sin, love the sinner, hate the sin. She goes, but I just feel like I'm part of a group of people right now who love me and they're just busy hating their own sin. And I, so that's where that, that came from. But it's the idea of I'm the chief of sinners. Paul's, it's funny. We always like to quote Paul when he said that he was the chief of sinners. But he said that after being in ministry like 25 years. <laughs> yeah. Like he was only in ministry 30, 35 years, all told. So he had been following Jesus, serving, planting churches, going on missionary journeys. And yet the closer he got to the light of Jesus, the more dirt he saw in himself. And I think that's that's that mentality of of love the sinner. You got enough on your plate to worry about. You're the right, and that, and if you maintain that posture, it's going to always position you, I think, to be faithful to what God teaches and to be used by God. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. It is it stuck with me. I think it's something that's wow. really really valuable for people to to have as part of the framework of how do I engage in things and people I might disagree with in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you said six principles. We did, we've done five, I think. Yeah. The, well, the, the six principles and one kind of concluding thought, I'll do it very, very quickly. The sixth one is this, adhere to the principles of critical thinking without lowering oneself to criticizing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think most of us would agree critical thinking is a lost art and discipline. Uh, in our day and age, we yes. live on assumptions and reactions and what's trending. And but there is there is uh, one. If I mean, these are in an order, like each builds on the next. So if I'm doing all this stuff right, then it positions me to have the conversation about disagree things we disagree on. Specify those and employ those critical thinking skills that are necessary to have healthy conversation conversation. And then, of course, the last thing is that it, in the end, the disagree is to grow personally and together as followers of Jesus. Because, like we said earlier, the table of grace is big and there's room at it for all of us. Hmm. I love uh, Waffle House. I also love <laughs> that uh, you use that to say that heaven is not going to be the booth, mm-hmm. booth spaces, that it's just one big table. I think if people can get that that idea in their heads, that this idea that the table of grace is bigger than sometimes we like to make it, uh, yes, then, then sometimes we like to say, no, the table of grace can only be as big as the secondary or even the tertiary issues. Well, no, that's not the way, that's not the way this thing is laid out. Um, I love your, your, your point, critical thinking without dipping into criticism. Uh, one of the conversations that, uh, Katie and Nathan and I have had on this subject is, uh, how to disagree without being disagreeable where that's not where Uh you, you're not looking to criticize. You're not looking to disagree. You're not going out finding those things, but you're going to be a critical thinker, uh, just in terms of practical application, how much. Uh, of, of reading and engaging with people that you don't agree with is part of building a critical thinking, not a criticism, but a, right. a habit of critical thinking. Yeah. A habit, an ethic of doing it. I, you know, I would, I would say it's not just getting around people that you don't agree with, but actually to be in relationship with people mm, that you're good. not always going to see eye to eye on. Um, and so, uh, if you're only doing life with people that think exactly the way you think, 
your community is not going to represent heaven. Mm. Um, and so I would say that the best way to f- have to beta test all this, if you want to, to practice these things, as Paul said, is, is to be in an environment in which you're just going to that environment to have conversations. No, you're in that environment because you're doing life with people. Mm. So I, I would say be, be, be in the journey with people that don't necessarily always think the way you think. I mean, I hate to, I mean, there are people who probably assumed of me, oh, well, then he must be a Democrat. He's one of those weirdos that thinks you can be an evangelical for Biden or something. <laughs> I, I never said that. That yeah. would be an assumption that people make. Now, I know that that's assumption because I hear it quite a bit. And I never said that. I, I never put my allegiance over there. But that's the danger of assumption is we can mischaracterize someone if we're not willing to do life with them. Mm. But I've found that the classroom of relationship elevates the ability to disagree well and work through the principles of disagreement, this ethic of disagreeing well. One question I think I have that's kind of burning for me would be, how do you, in, in your point four, we talk about disagreeing with people, but also accepting them. What advice would you give to student pastors who are having students come to them and the culture is literally telling them, you cannot do that. You cannot accept someone unless you agree completely with whatever they and who they want to be. Because I think that's we're seeing that kind of been what you alluded to. Like the culture really is yeah. saying whatever the issue is, if you don't if you don't agree completely with them, then no, you can't accept them. So we're kind of hearing that. What advice or any of the thoughts do you have for student pastors who have students who are hearing that constantly? Yeah, well, a very good friend of mine just you guys just did a project together, Sean Doctor Sean McDowell. Uh, chasing love and and Sean and I were actually having this conversation recently and it, 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 we've got to reject the desire to paint with a broad brush and to oversimplify um, I would say to youth pastors and youth workers you're gonna have to deal with specific issues on a specific level mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you can't there's no broad brush anymore just it doesn't work that way uh, sin has not made things simpler sin as with each passing year, has made things more complicated. And therefore, it causes us to be uh, more critical thinkers. And so, for example, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, gender pronouns, that's one of the big topics that everybody's discussing right now with the context of student ministry. When, how do we think through uh, some of the racial issues and Black Lives Matter? And I mean, in some circles, you just say the phrase Black Lives Matter and everybody makes an assumption about you. Yeah. And so, how do we deal with um, the idea that our our students have grown up in a world over overexposed to sexual sexual things and have almost been indoctrinated with this notion that whatever you feel is what you are? Uh, how do we how do we meet them at that place and go, no, 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 humanity, being human is not about, feeling determining identity and that shifting every five minutes. No, there's some there's some consistency with what humanity is. So my encouragement would be meet the student and the issue in the specific place in the journey and and be be very grace-filled in how you do that. You're not compromising truth when you're grace-filled. I'm not I'm not saying that we should ever have ministries that go Hey, it's okay to be gay and be a Christian and do cohabitate and do this, this. No, no, no. I'm not saying you compromise all that, but I do think there's ways to have real conversations and do life with people, so that you look up and you go, "Oh, 
a year later because we didn't just go, if you're not here, you can't come in. You know, we were able to walk with them and their, their mind is in a very different place. And, and by the way, if they're in community, people know how to pray better and we can never underestimate the power of, of daily prayer for someone. And so, so I, I think the best advice is there are some amazing resources that are out there. You guys are producing many of them and meet that person where they are. There is an answer and there is a way forward. And it's going to be, if you're the youth pastor and you're, you're like me where you go, I'm struggling because that young man walks in and he wants to be called a she. There is an answer and there is a way forward. And the more times you answer things rightly, the easier it becomes. And I think there's a big fear, Nathan, for some of us in which we're like, I just don't want to go anywhere near it because it just opens up this whole can of worms. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it does open up a whole can of worms. But his grace is sufficient. You, you can navigate this storm. And the more you navigate it, the stronger you get in your navigational skills. And, and so that's, that was what, I don't, is that any good? Is that helpful? I, I don't know. Absolutely. It is. Uh, Brent, I thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank it's you. It's been fantastic. Uh, always love to sit under your teaching. So thank you for uh, sharing that with the rest of the audience today. Listeners of the podcast, we'll be right back after this short message. So don't go anywhere. We're coming back. In today's episode, you heard Brent mention a new resource for students from author Sean McDowell called Chasing Love. In this nine-session Bible study, Sean McDowell takes students through God's Word to answer some of their toughest questions about love, sex, gender, and relationships. Sean provides practical counsel on how we can embrace a life of purity by loving God and loving others with both our body and our soul. Students will learn how to show love to those living outside of God's design and discover that God's love heals our wounds and His grace frees us from the shame and guilt of past sin. To learn more and download a free sample, visit lifeway.com slash chasing love. Welcome back, everybody. We have entered into this part of the podcast, which I hope you find useful, valuable. We'd love to hear about it. So in your rating and review, let us know or reach out to us on social media and let us know what you think. But this is the part of the podcast I kind of look forward to uh, every week just to kind of sit back and say, man, we just heard a wealth of information uh, from Brent on this topic. And uh, what do we take away? It's like drinking from a fire hydrant every single time and just trying to totally is. Okay. What am I going to bring to the table when we talk about it afterwards? (laughs) It's like, I'm stressed out. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I'll jump in first this time. I, uh, the six things, and we can put these six in, show notes we can make them available to you so that you can or you can go back and listen to like listen to it really slowly and keep hitting back on your 15 seconds back on your thing to make sure you get them all however we do that anyway those six things man i think that's such a powerful framework and the way that it builds on each one to the next like if we aren't starting with the baseline of choosing love before you choose sides Mm-hmm. Then we're going to net, we're never going to get to the point where, it, where we're able to say like, I can accept you and I can see value in you. Even if I disagree with a stance that you're taking. Yeah. I mean, even like 
if we're honest, the three of us sitting at this table, there's going to be something that we have a disagreement upon and some stance somewhere. Mm-hmm. But we need to be able to do that without, and I love the way he phrased it, without devaluing a person. Yeah. Whether that person is inside the body of Christ or not. And man, it's just the moment we devalue another person is when we step away from the mission, from the mission of God. And there's so much evidence right now of, of, Christian evangelical world devaluing mm-hmm. on the basis of some belief or argument. Yeah, I totally agree. Like that, that stood out to me a lot. I think it's just, it really is heartbreaking how quickly Christians can be at devaluing. I usually use the word dehumanizing mm. people, but I mean, like we're all made in the image of God. So we should be lifting, lifting that up. We should be caring more about where their soul spends eternity than what they, th- what they say in the next 15 seconds on Twitter, you know, yeah. and it's just, it just I, in all aspects that I look across is just, is constantly, it seems like the mantra of society has become, how can I make myself look better? Or how can I stand apart? And it is solely through dehumanizing people. Yeah, man. It's something, you know, we've, we've both, you and I just now have both said like evangelical Christian community is, is involved in doing this. And not like I would just say too, and it's something that I have to watch my initial thoughts or snap judgments on some person or thing that I am not jumping immediately to a belief over a person, but that I take and add value to, to a person. Yeah. And so like, I would say me too, like sometimes there are moments where I fit that man, you need to be worrying about your own self more than you're worrying about mm-hmm. somebody else in this. So, yeah. man, I don't, I don't want you listeners. I don't want you to hear this saying like, we just got done with that. And like, we're throwing stones at Christian evangelical world. But the reality is that if, unless our heads are in the sand, we're seeing a moment right now where we are not disagreeing well, and it's not forwarding the mission of God because of it. It doesn't look good no, <laughs> no, at all. Good. No. I, that was the, one of the bigger ones that, that really stuck out to me. There was that adhere to the principles of critical thinking without lowering yourself to criticism. And, uh, I'll say that just personally, I am, I am prone to be quick to criticism and, um, I'm reminded of that every time I do watch an argument on social media. And I think, man, like this argument is just based on criticism of others, of another person that doesn't agree with me or that I don't agree with. Um, and so I think it was really, it's really strong to say like lead with critical thinking. Um, and, we're tired. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I think that that plays a huge role in our, in, in slowing down enough to think critically about things. And when we're tired and we have pressure built up against us, it's really, really easy to just jump straight to criticism. So I think that was, that was one of the biggest things that stuck out to me. Yeah. The other big thing that stuck out to me was when he said, talking about the table again, Mm -hmm. but I mean, to kind of paraphrase, but how dare we take a seat away from the table? Yeah, that has never once been was the mission that God gave us. Yeah, you know, and so that just man, I just see so often. I mean, you just see people on social media all the time. It's negative, negative. How can anyone think this, whatever that is? And then the next, it's like, you know, they share a Bible verse or something like that, and it's just like, man, I don't know. You just have to 
again, we have to check ourselves and say, are we dehumanizing that person? Are we saying, oh, everybody has a seat at the table if they accept Christ, but then are we putting all these caveats into who mm-hmm. can? Are we taking seats away from the table when the Bible never mentions that? Yeah. You know, it's if we've made those third tier issues, those tertiary issues, we've made those first tier things. And it's just, I mean, man, I think it just breaks, it breaks my heart and hopefully it breaks other people's heart to take some time and think like, am I, am I being a proponent of that? Even yeah. if I'm not realizing it. Yeah. Well, and you know, Jesus says of himself, like he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, right? But to save the world. And the baseline there is that because the world without him is already condemned. Mm-hmm. So do we need to pile, like, do we as humans need to pile more condemnation right. on that? No, we need to point people to where the savior of the world can be found, right. not to where more con- condemnation lies. Right. Uh, one of the hopes in switching to this format in the podcast over, uh, it's been a couple months now, is that we would begin to have episodes that, yes, are closely tied to student ministry and practical and informative and challenge you there, but also have some episodes of the podcast that challenge you to this idea of critical thinking, that challenge you to new ideas or challenge you to a new way of thought or challenge you to a new way of thought that affirms to you where you are. And it is in the spirit of this podcast that we approach that, that we would be able to have critical thought with each other without lowering ourselves to criticism. And so uh, that's something that we hope to continue to do on the podcast, to bring things that cause critical thought, even if they happen to be things that you might disagree with as a listener from something that we say. Uh, Please know that our effort in that is not to be haughty or prideful, but it is, as Brent said, to grow and build up the community rather than tear it down. This has been another episode of the Student Ministry Podcast by LifeWay. We will see you next week.